Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media production. And our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today, today we're going to talk about super sources. Uh, not so much. We're not going to look at everybody's super sources. We're going to really analyze and talk about how we build them and why we build them. It's not going to be specific. I know we're calling it super sources, and that's a black magic term, but we'll be just talking about super sources as a design element. Um, so, uh, so we'll talk about about why we put things where and how we put them there um, and little little uh, pieces of that puzzle. So stay tuned for that um, in the second hour. And if you've got questions about super sources, uh, go ahead and throw them in right now. Um, and uh, if you have questions of your own, you can use this little guy right here. See this little, it's a little uh, QR code there, askofficehours.com. Uh, so you can go ahead and ask the questions there if you're not already in Makana and you don't have to sign in or anything else. You can just kind of throw your question in. So go ahead and throw that question in there and we'll look through the questions and bring some of them into the um, main show. So um, so stay tuned for that and go ahead and throw your questions in throughout the hour and make sure to, if you're in Makana to vote on those questions so we know which ones are the most important to you. Let's go ahead and jump into those questions. Mitch, what do we got? Thank you, Alex. First in is Sean Johnson from New York, New York. Now that the Sony FR7 has been out for a while, what are the panelists and users' thoughts and experiences? Match well with an FX6? Can you program moves with an in-out keyframes and speed control? Use it behind a prompter? Thanks. Go ahead, Mitchell. I'll, I'll answer the part about uh, UD, uh, cutting it against a uh, FX6 should be no problem. Exact same sensor, maybe even the same camera innards in there. So, uh, yes, a FX6 and a uh, FR7 would be a good match. Yeah, we, we use it regularly with the FX6, and it, and it cuts perfectly. So, um, so we use... what. Well, Here's how we oftentimes set up. We do a lot of things where we have Q and A. So you have a bunch of people that are going to come and sit down, and the and the FR sevens have been kind of a a godsend to us because it's what we have is you have you have your um, let's say we have you know our the folks that we're having sit down. We'll have them sit like this. We'll have a moderator over here typically, and then they're going to be walking on this way. So what we do is we put the FX six on this far end. So that we can catch them, that's the one you need. A, you want to have a uh, an operator on because they just don't know what they're going to do. And so then, then we put the FR sevens. We usually have you know one here in the center, and then we put another one over here. That's kind of well, it's actually not quite that far over over here. One over here and one down here. And the reason we put these two middle ones in is so that we really like this strong rake. That goes across here, but if this person leans forward, they get in front of the moderator, and the moderator moves forward. So there's a bunch of we like the rake, but we don't like to um, we don't like people to get in front of it. So these are kind of safeties, and you don't do this if you have it operated because that would be too expensive. <laughs> so so we, we put more cameras in, but we, but this one's operated with a with an operator here. But the, these and I made these people, but they're cameras here, and um, we cut them. So this is an FX six, and then these are all FR sevens going all the way around. Um, it is, uh, it's worked, it just works really well. Like it looks really good. Um, and we've been really happy with the, the output of it. The, I don't, we haven't really tried, we can definitely pre-program settings. We haven't tried to program complicated moves to it or specifically shooting, you know, cutting to it, panning and so on and so forth. And I, it probably can do it. I think one of the issues is, is that I, I have a tendency not to operate that way with PTZs. So my own limitations of how I approach 
PTZs is that I, I generally just want to cut between them. I don't use PTZs for movement. Um, and so, so I, we, we have, we have done it, but it's, it's pretty, it's pretty rare, um, for us to do that. So, um, uh, so anyway, I think that I, I, I probably can do that. It's just not something, it's not a use case that I use. As far as teleprompters go, you need to get a specific kind of teleprompter, um, hood for it. Uh, prompter people makes one and it's a little bit, it's more of a, it's octagonal. It gives it some space. You can't do everything you can do with a PTZ because the whole hood is not moving with it. But you do get a little bit of motion and where that's useful. And we've built studios with PTZs that are inside of these larger teleprompters um, backings. And the advantage of those is, is not that you can turn 90 degrees, but 10, 20 degrees around. So someone's sitting, you, you got it all kind of lined up where you want it and someone moves a little bit, you can kind of coax back and forth with them um, and make those fine adjustments. And so it's not, you know, you can't go very far, but it really makes a difference. It's like, it, it's uh, it's a game changer when you're using it the way it was designed. Um, yeah, go ahead and, um, yeah, go, Courtney? Yeah, you said I was going to comment on the teleprompting stuff. We, we've been using that type of configuration for years. We call it roll-up configuration like this. Uh, you see, there's some really old beta cam shown. But the teleprompter sits on its own stand, and you roll it up in front of the lens. Uh, of course, since it's not attached to the lens, you can't do things like follow somebody in, you know, as they enter the room or something. You know, you can't pan them in. Uh, do things like that. But uh, for a static uh, frame where you're just readjusting for zooming in, reframing from a one shot to a two shot, you can do that much movement uh, without it attached to the lens, especially with a PTZ that has a smaller diameter lens because then you get a lot more freedom inside that hood to pan and tilt uh, within within the hood. And it helps to have at least a, a 15 or 17 inch teleprompter glass uh, hood. And you can't use the teleprompters. We have uh, cloth backs on them. So you can't use the ones that have a rigid back on them because you usually, you know, it limits the lens movement within the uh, rigid back. If you have a vacuum form plastic uh, shield uh, shroud on the back of the glass, uh, that makes it tough. Use a, uh, a cloth shroud and then you won't have any problem. You can actually put the PTZ underneath the shroud. Yeah, and, and the, uh, the one that, that we've used in the past has been this one, which is a hard one, but it goes all the way around the camera and it's designed to go around the PTZs um, themselves. And so that, that huge box sits behind the PTZ and we've put BRC-900s is the last time I really used these uh, heavily. Um, so they, they fit in and the BRC-900 and the FR7 are about the same size. So I think that that would probably work. Next question. Eric Herz from Hartford, Connecticut, asking, how do you like the use of a Sonic box with a capture card to deliver video to either vMix on a Windows B-Link PC or Mimo Live on a Mac Mini? How would this quality compare to using the USB output from an ATEM Mini instead? Yeah, there, we, we have found that there is a, in, in many cases, the, the USB out has, is crushing the blacks a little bit. And we think that Blackmagic is working on this, but, but I think that there's a little bit of a crush going on. Um, and so you, you may see more detail in the blacks if you're using a video output. Now, you may also see that, you know, if, if you're taking it from the Mac, um, from, you know, if you're, if you're delivering these things that, from the Sonnet box, the other thing for you to consider um, is if you're doing a capture card, you could do, definitely do that from the Mini, but you could also, you know, if you're delivering from, um, 
I, I know that previous conversations we're talking about using Zoom ISO. Of course, Zoom ISO does NDI to, to Memo and to vMix. So those are other things to kind of consider. Um, so so I think that those are things, but I think as comparing the video output of the extreme to the USB, you know, I think you're going to get a higher quality video uh, from, the, uh, from the HDMI output. Next question. From Sean Johnson in New York. Anyone have any experience with new tech pro tech plans? I know this might be an it depends question, but curious if it's worth it. Anyone have experiences good or bad to share? Thank you. Good, John. Too many of us started with the TriCaster and got burned in the middle of the shows with TriCaster crashing. We, we were all supported by our local dealers that we bought the equipment from. Uh, but new tech's no longer. It's, it's uh, VizRT now. Um, and so we all moved on from the TriCaster platform. Next question. David Brady in New York, New York. Is there a method outside of Photoshop, I use Pixelmator Pro, to create pre-multiplied graphics? I was never that good at math. Mitchell? I think that was a uh, joke there about the uh, the math comment because there's no math, well, that we have to deal with. Um, generally, uh, I would use Photoshop, but if I'm not, I can do it in After Effects. I know it's way overkill, but you have a super amount of control over alpha channels and what type it is, whether it's pre-multiplied or not. Jesse? Um, oh, sorry. The question's a little unclear, so this is a bit of a Hail Mary, but I think what you might want to be doing, we've got a picture of Frankenstein addressing Congress. And we've got the black and white matte channel down there. And we've also got a checkerboard just to show you what's going to happen in a second. Um, so what you do, it, I'm not sure if this is what you want to do, but you go over to your effects, add effect, uh, mask to alpha, and then it will pull the alpha channel from the layer below it. So now we've got uh, Frankenstein extracted. Yeah, I think that, that it's not exactly what 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 he's looking for there, and that is to pre-multiply the black over top. So typically, what happens is is that you have there are there's a couple different ways for a, a, these images to be composited, and so one requires a straight alpha, and the other one requires a pre-multiply sorry straight RGB, and then it's and then there's pre-multiplied, and so and how that uh, how the compositor expects to have that is important. So what happens generally when you have an alpha channel, so I've got, I've got my, my plate and I've got my alpha channel, is that you take the alpha channel and you punch out, the, you punch out a hole for, the, for something to go into it. So you punch out a hole in the background. And, so, and the, reason, the way you do that is to multiply. So this is why the pre-multiplication comes in. You, you, you use, literally use the, the turn, you know, you, it'll say multiple, you know, if you go to your um, blend settings, you're going to see multiply. It is multiply. And what that means is take the value of the pixel on the top and you multiply it to the, um, the pixel below it. So here's the, here's our pixel below. So this has got a this is an, and it's zero through one. So if I have um, if I have a number here that is let's say 0.5, and this bottom one is one, and I multiply them, I get 0.5. See, I feel like I'm in math class again. So, but it's not it's not hard math. This is all math that you you, you hopefully learned by the time you're in third or fourth grade. Um, and so, so anyway, so th that's what that's what that multiply. You know, these these two multiplied together equals this. Now, why that's important is because this will be the edges that you have there. But more importantly, you'll have a. I'm going to use a darker color here. Um, let's say you have the the top one, your alpha channel. It's brown because I, I can't draw black the way I set this up. Um, and then I have uh, so this. Let's just say this is um, this is point 
zero. This is zero. This is zero. This is black, right? Black is zero. And I have um, underneath it, I have white. And this is one. When I multiply zero to it, I get anyone, anyone. I just had to say that. Um, zero. So, zero, so yes. this is that the, the, the black, the black has, what, what, what happens is that your, the black in your alpha channel pushes everything in the background to black. And the areas along those edges slowly fade back out again um, to, to where it needs to be. Now, what you do then is you invert that, that alpha channel, and you multiply that to the foreground. And that knocks out everything around the foreground except for the, um, except for what your subject. And that should, because you're using the same alpha channel, that should match perfectly when it's set over top of the background. Now, the challenge here is that, that sometimes they, <laughs> people don't do the second knockout. So when, you, when, you have a, when you're assuming that the RGB has been pre-multiplied, you're doing the knockout to the background, and then you're just adding the top. You're adding, again, it's just add. When I say add, it's adding that pixel value um, to, of the foreground to the background. So it's not doing that extra knockout, and it saves a little bit of processing time. It's a little bit simpler. And so, so that's what that, that when, it, when, it, when you're looking at pre-multiply. So when you understand how it works, you can do it in anything. So basically, if you are in Pixelmator, you need to take your alpha channel and you select a, you know, you select a layer and you just say fill, you, know, you, you basically invert the alpha channel and fill it. And that's going to be all filled with black. And it'll be all black. And then you say you just set that layer to mu multiply on top of the on top of the piece. And that's going to pre-multiply. That's, that's what it's doing. It's pre-multiplying the RGB. It's 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 applying the alpha channel. It's multiplying that alpha channel to the RGB, and everything will turn black. And you need to do that, for instance, with Black Magic because when Black Magic does the composite, it assumes that you're giving it a pre-multiplied alpha channel. So if you ever see things like showing up around in your in your composite and black in a, in, a, in an, an ATEM, that's what's happening. Anyway, so that's you, you can absolutely do it in anything. You can actually do it in uh, with a little bit of work. You can do it. In, I don't know if you can do it in Keynote or not, but you can definitely do it in, in anything that has a multiply layer. Um, you can you can fill it with that alpha channel and then multiply it to the RGB channel. Next question. Eric Herz from Hartford, Connecticut. When will vMix and MIMO Live support AV1? Bill? You have to ask the developers about the when stuff. I got I, I, I think there's a reasonably good bet now on AV1. It comes out of the Alliance for Open Media, so it is a less um, protected, I guess. is a, the, the Alliance says it's open source, and so everybody should be able to get access to writing in this. It's been very popular up to this point. It's supposed to be uh, actually better, particularly for web distribution, than the prior, I mean, from VP9 all the way through the rest of those things, and now we've got other encoders that are a little more restricted. So I think there's a good chance, but also often I've bet on things like VP9 that I thought would take over because they were open source and they didn't. So uh, I'm cautious, but this looks pretty good from what I read about it. Yeah, I, everyone's going to support AV1. I think it's just a matter of when. <laughs> and, and most likely it's still going to take, I would say, another year or two before you see it roll out. These things take a lot longer than you think. I mean, HEV, H264, we heard about for years, years yeah. it was out there and H265 is just barely coming out, even though we've been talking about it for 10 years. So um, these are, now AV1 will probably go faster because it's not um, being encumbered by um, the licensing mess that H264 and H265 were because of the MPEG consortium. But, uh, but it still is going to take some time to come out. Go ahead, Courtney. 
Yeah, maybe uh, it could be a problem in 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 the vMix and Memo Live area because of its real time nature, and uh, a really good uh, compression maybe take may take two passes, you know, to achieve you know the cleanest type of compression or the lowest the highest amount of compression with the least amount of of degradation. So uh, maybe that's why you're not seeing it in the live video types because of the hard, you'd have to have a hardware encoder of some sort to or do decoder. it fast enough. Encoder and decoder, especially encoder. Encoding takes a lot longer, but if you're going to try and do it live, encode it live before it goes out, it's, it takes some time, so it may cause a little too much delay for the live switchers. Yeah, the... Um, uh, well, in... in Again, for the live switching, most likely, yeah, you're right, that, that I think Memo and VMix will probably be the last places that it goes. Really, AV1 is really more of a um, a delivery method. And so it's it's not really a mezzanine format to use in production, or it won't be immediately. Um, I think that Memo may benefit from this faster than VMix. And the reason is, is that we saw with the iPhone 15 that there is a AV1 decoder that's um, in the hardware. So they actually built a chip for it. Um, I think uh, many of us think that's a sign that the next generation of uh, Macs will have an, an AV1 decoder and possibly an encoder built into them. So, um, so they'll, you know, so you'll have a Mac Mini or a Studio. It'd probably be the Studio, but the Mac or the Mac Mini Pro that has uh, encoder and decoder chips in it for AV1. At that point, it's kind of a game changer, and it'll push AV1 most likely forward much faster. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, there's an inline note here that vMix 27 has announced they're going to support AV1. So the more people who adopt it and more systems, the faster this should happen. Nobody knows for sure when that comes out or anything else, but it's coming. It does look like vMix 27 was a big update. (laughs) They they spent, it was kind of like, let's do all the things that everybody asked for. So it it, it looks like a big update. We really should do probably a whole second hour on that uh, that update, but we'll talk about it soon. Next question. John Fisher from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, has a question. Are the Windows 11 licenses on inexpensive mini PCs legitimate? Is it better to stick with known manufacturers like Melee and B-Link to avoid getting burned from a pirated OS? Courtney? I have not yet been burned by a pirated OS. Usually the ones, uh, sometimes they'll tell you that, uh, you know... Uh, a version of Windows 11 is included or, or uh, you know, that is just, it's installed but not activated. Uh, and you would have to pay for activation on it. But all the ones that I've gotten, all the Melees, come with Windows 11 Pro. Because Microsoft has a licensing deal for certain manufacturers that are mass-producing these small form-factor PCs. And I think... Uh, in that classification, the licensing is almost free, and they uh, because they encode the uh, the certificate of authenticity or basically the the key uh, into the firmware on the uh, on the PC before they ship it. It's in the in the ROMs in the firmware, so uh, that's where the license sits on the small form factor PCs. So uh, they are authorized and activated. Uh, all the ones that I've gotten have been Windows 11. 10, either Windows 8 through Windows 11, they've all been activated, and I've never had Windows complain or suddenly go or pop up a message saying you're not running an authorized version of the of the software. And that's that's why there's such a really good deal if you need to run something on Windows and you're a Mac person, because you can get uh, a small you know a small uh, PC like this for under under 150 dollars. 
sometimes. And uh, that includes a, a Windows 11 Pro license, which if you bought by itself to run under a virtual machine on a Mac, would cost you more than $225 or $299. So it's quite a deal. Go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, wasn't there a time that uh, Windows would be distributed as an OEM version and it would be missing some features? I think they also called it Home versus Pro. Um, that might be something to look out for. It's not pirated. It's just a different featured version of uh, Windows. Yeah, I got, two different, I got two different melees. They're exactly the same melees, and I got two different OSs with them. So I was like, one was easy to install and one was not. Well, one you can say, one you can... Always, you can always update, uh, install a new version, and it will automatically check, and it'll find a license key in the firmware and automatically authenticate itself. Uh, but there are different versions. Windows Home, Windows Pro are two different versions. The difference is the Windows Pro lets you remote into it. Uh, a remote desktop is enabled on the Pro version. It's not enabled on the Home version, so watch out for that. Next question. From Kyle Hammond from Chicago, Illinois. The uh, question is, does Mimo Live accept OSE? Looking to cut a show via QLab. Uh, I don't know. I believe that it does. Um, I believe it, it accepts um, uh, OSC commands, but I'm not 100% sure. So um, stay tuned for that. And, and you know, um, the one thing is Oliver is in our Discord as well. So I'm sorry we don't have that answer for you, but I, I think that it does. I'm pretty sure that it does handle REST commands, um, and I do believe that it does OSC support, but I'm, I, we haven't tried to use it that way. Next question. From Daniel Patridge from Rochester, New York, Minnesota. Excuse me. Anyone else become a convert to Roland switchers from an ATEM Extreme HDMI unit. I don't think we've ever had to go back. Now, after using the Roland V8HD, they seem so much better for much most users. Go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, observation, uh, Roland's been doing a lot longer than Blackmagic, but the problem is, is that Blackmagic has a much broader ecosystem that you can buy into. So uh, the Rolands are nice and maybe a little nicer, but they don't do all the things that the ATEMs do. Yeah, it's. Um, I I think that if you're not in the in the overall black magic ecosystem, I think that it's easier to pick the Rollins. The Rollins definitely have um, some better audio pipelines. I'm, I'm I have to look at this one specifically. Better audio pipelines and some other creature comforts, and they're simpler to use um, um, by themselves. And so I do think that they are. Um, they're a pretty solid unit if you're not in the rest of the ecosystem. Being able to shade your cameras when we're doing live stuff, being able to shade our cameras from the uh, from the switcher and uh, also just all the subsystems of being able to have people writing other pieces of software like MixEffect and, and other things like that are really, really important to us. And so I think that that's the real uh, challenge, you know, for a lot of us is to, um, is, is that we really, uh, 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 it, it's part of this larger ecosystem is what keeps us hung. And that's what, that, that's what Blackmagic has gotten exceptionally good at is supporting the ecosystem so that um, so that you're really part of a big network. Uh, so the rolling kind of stands on its own. Um, I think that if it's working for you, that sounds great, but I don't know of a lot of ATEM users that are 
uh, doing that. Quick reminder, of course, that you can uh, ask questions throughout the hour. Um, either you can ask them inside of Makana or you can use this little ask uh, officehours.com. Uh, you can use the QR code there. So go ahead and ask those questions for the first hour or the second hour. We're going to talk about um, super sources. If you're doing it, if you're asking about super sources with this code, you've got to put in the question that you're interested in super sources so that we understand that you're that it's for the second hour. So um, make sure to kind of annotate that when you when you put it in there. Um, and uh, but I uh, ask those questions there, Courtney. Do you have, you have another answer for? Um, uh, yeah, I was just going to say the Roland is is quite a bit more expensive. That uh, that's about six hundred bucks, and I think the uh, standard ATM Mini is is three hundred or four hundred on three. Two ninety nine or three ninety nine, I think. Uh, so it is uh, almost twice as much uh, to buy the Roland. And I'm not sure whether the nice thing about the ATEMs is the fact that they're software. You can have multiple instances of the software running on different computers and all controlling the same switcher, which is handy. And I just wish mine wouldn't glitch like that. Sorry. <laughs> it wasn't that a sixty frame thing. It's, it's not a sixty frame. I thing. thought it was, and it worked for about a day and a half, and then now it started doing it again. They, and Windows, of course. Did a first, there was a zero-day exploit that they pushed out an update for, and maybe it brought it back. Yeah, who knows? Mm, Windows. Next question. Funsak Dorji from Dharamshala, India, asking greetings. Here's a link to a live stream. If you look at it, what does the panel think is the cause of the disturbances? Good, Bill. Well, it was a little hard to figure out exactly what you were looking at for the disturbances. I watched, I was able to watch a couple of minutes of it uh, a little while ago here at the beginning of the show. And the the main things I heard were audio anomalies, and most of them were just either uh, people, it's kind of like a parliamentary procedure. So There's a lot of people involved, a lot of microphones, a lot of speakers. Uh, but I heard people moving uh, desk-mounted mics ov- overtly and causing all sorts of audio glitches from that. Um you know, that's one of those things where if you can get an auto mix in there to do the basic function of muting everything when without the active speaker. Now, if it's the active speaker who's reaching out and moving the mic, that's not going to deal with it. So it's really hard to get away from needing to have a human being on a mute button for those kind of circumstances where somebody does something weird. Uh, you know, but other than that, I mean, I think you're doing the job of letting the constituency in this uh, parliamentary kind of procedure get the content they're looking for. So good job overall. But that's what I heard. I heard more audio disturbances than video glitches. I did see some switching errors and some, you know, a PNP would come up, a little picture in picture thing and then go out without any real purpose in having it there. But I'm assuming you're working with a mostly volunteer clue. If you're not, maybe it's just the number of flying hours they need to get up to speed with to get used to all their equipment. Good, Courtney. Yeah, I was thinking uh, maybe they have an automated uh, system that does video follows audio. So whenever uh, an auto mix switches uh, switches into a certain microphone, it'll switch to that video. And if somebody just is adjusting their mic but not saying anything, that can trigger a false switch to that person's microphone or something, which would cause a a video a temporary video interruption for no reason, and uh, as well as an audio glitch as well. So what what Bill was saying about somebody adjusting their microphone. May have to do with the automation and switching. Next question. Joaquin Matus from Imperial Valley, California. I'm looking for a device, preferably rack mountable, with a headphone output that can monitor program audio from an embedded SDI signal. The Blackmagic Audio Monitor 12G seems like it fits this need, but what other options are there? Mitchell? 
In the broadcast industry, uh, a lot of people use a device called a Wohler, W-H-O-L-E-R. It's a one-rack unit uh, device uh, that comes in different flavors. It's pretty good sounding for a, a one-rack unit device, and uh, it's a good alternative. But I kind of like the Blackmagic one. Yeah, it, it depends on what you're using it for. So one of the things that's really important for us for a monitor is we always make sure that on in, on site or in our control room, there is a very tightly wound um, version of it that has the fewest amount of electronics so that we can look for audio sync. So our people's lips in sync. And the one problem with the 12G is that it's a little small. Um, there is some Sony production monitors that are 17-inch or 19-inch. Um, it's a little easier to look at people's look at people's lips and make sure that they're um, they're they're in sync. So that's the only thing I would say. That otherwise, I think the 12G works great. Um, we often use the 17-inch um, Blackmagic monitor, and then we combine that with a Blackmagic um, SDI audio monitor, and we we loop those and. It's close enough. Like we, we definitely don't have a, a, a variance there between the two if they're looped right to each other. Um, and so that that has been what we use. We have headphones and speakers and so on and so forth. But if you're in the field, I think that the 12G is going to work great. But, you know, Atomos has um, some of these as well that are larger. Um, you know, again, just think about what you're using them for. If it's just I just want to see signal and I want to listen to it, this is going to be great. If you're looking for uh, lip sync, you may find that the size of that monitor is a little, little small. Next question. From Brett Below in Appleton, Wisconsin. Thanks to Courtney and Paul Wallace, I just hopped on the tiny PC train. As a Mac user, I rely on Typeinator for text expansion and previously used Text Expander until they changed to a subscription model. Is anyone using an app for Windows? Courtney, do you do any kind of automation, like automated uh, text expansion? What, by text expansion, what are they talking so about? So with, with text or? expander, what, well, yeah, exactly. Um, with text expander, uh, what you do is you, you can set up a series of like, you know, with, um, with text expansion, for instance, I have, I just say my address and it just automatically fills my whole address into the, into the, um, into an email or I say office address and it just, and it, I do it all as one word and it just, so you can just have a key, you know, programmed um, hotkeys. Yeah. Controlled. Yeah. Controlled hotkeys, yeah. It's not really a hotkey as much as it is a you type a phrase that is you would not type otherwise, and it will, um, it will automatically replace that with uh, text. Uh, Go ahead, Chris. Can't hear you, Chris. Uh, The way I used to use Text Expander uh, until I killed it because they went subscription, I was a little angry. Um, You angry? Hard to believe, right? I find that a series of letters that are not in any word ever, like four S's in a row, four S's in a row types slice with the little backslash, which is our logo, which is a little awkward to type manually, uh, or um, like three C's or three F's or something like that. Um, Text Expander used to have a great, it, it probably still does, but not in my universe, where you could, I created a keyboard shortcut that would type the time of day in hours, minutes, seconds, separated by colon, time of day, time code. And I would use it on set while I was shooting. I would just have my laptop in front of me. I'd hit the keyboard shortcut and it would be the time. And then I'd take notes, good take, bad take, whatever. It was really handy, you know, because it would be like pulling time code out of the air 
which when you're doing time of day time code is pulling time code out of the air. But I stopped using it when they went subscription. Not that you're bitter. <laughs> uh, uh, next question. Dave Kaufman from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. On an ATEM, is there a way to add a key and preview so that I can crossfade from one camera to one with a key? Go, Jesse. Uh, we don't do this on the minis, and it's because of the risk involved of making a, you know, a, a grand error publicly. Um, there, there are two things that I can suggest. One is that um, you lean on your keys with cuts, and we do do this quite a lot, is uh, we set up our macros to um, cut from a non-keyed image to the keyed image that we want. And if we had to do a crossfade between a non-keyed image to a keyed image, the first thing I would do is feed uh, the, the image to be keyed through a second ATEM and marry all that information on one dedicated device and then move it into the ATEM Mini. If you're working on something higher than the Minis, you might be able to cross the finish line, but that's how I would approach it on something as limited as the Mini. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, what is Adam Toe's uh, thing? Uh, Mix Effect Pro? Yep. Do it with that and and a stream deck so you could say I mean you could have a row of buttons like input one and, and Dave it sounds like you mean with a key meaning like a lower third strap so you could have a button that says take one and then right above it would be take one with the key you know something like that yeah and and just so you know if it depends on what you're trying to key if you're trying to key a lower third uh, there is a button above the timer in your in all the switchers that are called tie. And if you hit that tie button, it will load your lower third. In, it'll tie that lower third to your preview. And then when you hit um, on air, it will bring that that lower third in with your video. So if that's what you're trying to do, if you're trying to do lower thirds and you want to cut to it already built, you need to use the tie in in the downstream key. Um, and then when you go on air, it'll it'll bring that forward the um, the the video forward with the lower third inserted. So if that's what you're trying to do, it is there. Next question. Brett Below from Appleton, Wisconsin. Do you recommend the Blackmagic Design Speed Editor, Keyboard, or Micro Panel for DaVinci Resolve for part-time editing? Or is it wiser to stick with a normal keyboard compand and muscle memory and be able to easily move between any Mac or PC running Resolve? Go ahead, Mitchell. Um, I can only relate my personal experience um, with uh, editing with Avid. I ended up buying their Artist Control, which had moving faders and a jog wheel and all that kind of stuff on it. And to be honest with you, it just sat there. Um, I always went to the keyboard, you know, from 99% of the uh, the keyboard shortcuts. Uh, if you're doing JKL, it's still the most efficient way to make things happen when you're uh, doing an edit. So I'm recommending that you learn to do it the standard way with the keyboard and the shortcuts. You're going to be a better and faster editor w without dealing with all these other uh, external stuff. Good, Bill. I am firmly in the I like my basic unaffected machine for editing. I sit down at the laptop. I sit down at a desktop. I go to work for somebody else on an external project. And other than if I'm on an external project and I have to use uh, a regular keyboard, I have to bring my uh touchpad because I have to put it centered on the keyboard just like my laptop that I use every day so all my muscle memory works. Outside of that tiny inconvenience, I just like to be able to operate everything the same way all the time. That's the camp I will live in for the rest of my time. Go ahead, Chris. 
Brett, what you're doing here is you're building a Venn diagram of occurrences. So you already said you're a part-time editor, which means there's that that circle is very small. And then you may be on different machines and you may have the speed editor with you. So how many times are all those things going to happen? I would highly recommend uh, use the remote control that comes with your computer on mine. It has 102 keys. It's called my keyboard. And just, just learn how to do that. If you did this full time, all day, every day, at the same desk with the same computer, yes. But uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of gimmicky remote controls. Go ahead, Mitchell. I'm going to contradict myself or walk it back. I really like a good jog wheel. Um, not necessarily one on the artist control, which is plasticky and, and garbage, but on my shuttle, for example, on my uh, Blackmagic design, and I think they carry that over to their other uh, remotes, it's the go-to control because, you know, being able to push it, click down, jog, scrub, spin, and have that uh, feedback on it, that's something you can't do with a keyboard. Go, Bill. And just a note, I was on a big crew once upon a time, and one of the editors had worked with a stylus to the right. Great editor. I mean, but trying to adapt that to the system we were working on, he struggled for four days trying to get that to work like it did at his home desk on this new system that he needed to be a part of the big crew on. And it just, I'd never have forgotten that lesson. That was tough for him. Next question. Next one in from Alexander Knight in Port Coquitlam, British Columbia, Canada. Now that I have a few Windows PCs, is there any way to make mouse scrolling behavior work like a Mac OS natural setting? Courtney? I'm not sure what you're talking about with the Mac OS natural setting, but if you're talking about smooth scrolling, you know, if you have a mouse with a uh, scroll wheel, uh, you can move the mouse over to the right side and click the mouse button, and that puts it into smooth scroll, variable speed smooth scrolling. So it'll do really smooth scrolling up or down or left or right, very natural scrolling. Uh, if that's what you're talking about, uh, yes, it can be done just with a, a click on the mouse wheel uh, to enable that when you're in the right side near the scroll bar in Windows. Good, Chris. Can't hear you. All right. According in the Mac world, natural scroll has more to do with the behavior of touching an iPad versus scrolling a scroll wheel. So if you think about it, when I grab the little thing on the side on my Mac and I scroll down, the page goes up, right? Well, you can put Windows in tablet mode, which will reverse scrolling. There you down. go. That's it. That's the answer that Alexander is okay. looking for. <laughs> tablet mode is what that you guys call it. Okay, cool. Next question. From Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, how much is Adobe Creative Cloud for Teams and how many machines can you run on it? Uh, can you run it on both your Mac and PC? Is one terabyte the upper storage limit and will it play nice with Apple Photos and Google Photos? Go ahead, John. I think Mr. Fenwick can answer this question. <laughs> he got a letter from Software Publisher Association about this question. Uh, it's it's about 1020 a month for the Teams version you get one terabyte of storage. I don't know what you mean by plays nice with Apple Photos and Google Photos. It doesn't integrate with either of those. You can move you can move the you can move the files back and forth, but that's how much. It can. Bill, 
I would just say get every discount that you can because I did a calculation. I've been using Final Cut for 11 years and, you know, it cost me the three ninety nine for that motion and compressor. I did, as a, just a joke for myself, figured out at their 49 bucks a month how much that would have cost me <laughs> for, for the other. It was over $10,000. Freaked me out. I wasn't expecting that. Good, Mitchell. Yeah, they seem to be pretty good about uh, allowing you to use two machines on the same network, whether they're PCs or Macs. Um, and I have three machines that I'm bouncing around on, and it's actually, they put an interface there so you can uh, deselect one and select the other one. So um, it is uh, it is fairly easy to use with two licenses, or one license for two users. And Chris? Technically, it's one license for two machines. It's not actually two users. If Let's say, Mitch, you have an assistant that comes into your office and you want them to uh, build a bunch of lower thirds on After Effects and Creative Cloud while you're editing in Premiere on Creative Cloud. That is not allowed. The, the two machines for one user, the intention in, in Adobe's mind is, yes, Mitch, you can put it on your desktop and we will let you put it on your laptop. But you can't have two humans running those two desks. I guess a, a letter is forthcoming Ign now. Ignorance is bliss. Let me just say that. Uh, we figured it out, and it was a whole bunch of headaches. There goes my we, plausible We didn't figure it out. The, the Software Publishers Association, do, as John referred, they, figured it out for know? us. How do they know if it's two different people? Um, be, COVID, when all the machines went to different um, IP addresses. Office hours. And Fenwick <laughs> talks too much. There you go. There you go. Yeah, but but that's the, the letter. The strictest letter of the law is two computers operated by the same human being. There you go. Next question. Thank, thank you very much, Chris. Uh, next question in from Douglas Carmichael. How well do help and sill pickups work for a piano in a church setting? I'm interested in getting a quality piano sound for both recording and streaming. Good, Bill. Well, you're looking for a quality piano sound, so I will just explain this little anecdote from my earlier life. I had a neighbor who was a great guy, and he was a piano technician for really, really, really big touring artists. The first thing they do is they take their baby grand piano that the set director says uh, you should put on stage, and they rip out its entire insides and put a very high-level velocity-sensing electronic keyboard in it because pianos do not travel well. I would suggest that if you can find your pianist a an electronic instrument that can plug directly you're going to save a lot of problems rather than miking a real piano the quality the point of the making this is that for touring musicians of a very high caliber they are quite happy with the sound of electronic pianos so uh, if you can get that in direct i think that's much better than going with trying to put pickups on a physical piano and get it miked courtney yeah, Help and Steel is not a microphone at all, really. It's a, an electronic pickup, like a guitar pickup, you know, picks up a mag, uh, it's a magnetic pickup, picks up the vibrations of the string uh, in a magnetic field. So it has to go across every single string. And it's usually used in situation rock bands where you got a, a grand piano on stage. And that's why Bill says they've mostly carved out those uh, Steinways and put electronic keyboards inside of them so that they don't have to deal with the Help and Steel. Uh, 
because the help and steel then wouldn't pick up uh, the ambient sound when you've got uh, you know a row of Marshall amps on stage blasting at 4,000 dB. You know it's not going to pick up. It's hard to hear the piano over that if you're miking it. So the help and steel uh, lets you pick up this piano sounds without picking up any ambient sound, uh, or the if the person's sitting at the piano singing or something to himself like some annoying jazz pianist do, you know. But <laughs> other than that, uh, you can, like like Bill says, a solution for a touring artist who plays the piano is to put their favorite uh, uh, electronic keyboard in there or controller, a MIDI controller for their favorite electronic uh, instrument. That way they can switch between different sounds of different sizes, piano, upright, Steinway, Bosendorfer, you know, you have all those overlays and all those samples that you can enter in there and change the quality of your piano at will. Next question. Mike Peters in Oakton asks, is 8 vMix call and 12 live-to-air inputs too much for a PC with an NVIDIA GE Force RTX 2080 Ti? I will guess yes. <laughs> I think that you need uh, probably a 4000 series to make all of that work at one time. Uh, I don't know that for certain. We haven't tested it specifically with that board, but I do not think that board will keep up with what you're asking it to do. Go ahead, John. Is is uh, is vMix call going away now that they integrated Zoom? That's the question. Yeah, and and, and I have to admit that I, I don't know if vMix it, it should <laughs> like so. So they, I mean, if they're if they're supporting Zoom, uh, I, I I would recommend it. Um, I found, never found vMix call to be that stable. So uh, I think that they're I think there's a good reason why they they should move there. And I think if you're going to do that kind of thing, I wouldn't use the vMix call. It's a real anyway. Next question. And a question from Eric Herz in Hartford, Connecticut. Would you use a B-Link-based encoder with an AJAU tap for SDI input, or must you have SDI capture integrated into one piece of hardware? Courtney? I think you can use an external uh, SDI to USB converter, which is what I think that AJAU tap is. It comes in over USB 3. Although uh, it, it appears, as, since it's cross-platform and driver-free, I've got to assume that it's using the standard USB drivers for video. Uh, so uh, it should work fine uh, at 1080p. I don't know if it'll go fa it'll go higher than that. Uh, whether, whether or not it supports 4K or not is uh, up in the air. Next question. Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, asking, Zoom AI Companion is my trusted digital assistance that will empower me, and it is no extra cost with my paid account. What will it do? Chris? Likely, it will satisfy marketing's desire to put AI in every, everything on every web page so that people are interested and click on it. Uh, what it actually does, who, who, who really knows? Uh, yeah, it looks like it, you know it has some things where it can shorten things, summarize things, extend things. I think that I've talked to a couple people who use it who find that uh, that it is um, you can write a long. You remember that whole I wrote you a short letter. Be I wrote you a long letter because I didn't have time to write you a short one. Well, now you Please might have time. Um, and I, you know, one of the funny things is is that I I was talking to someone who they have a YouTube channel and they um, and they sell products. And people will buy their products and the products are very high quality and everyone's really happy with them. But you always end up with like three people that are really upset about something that, that happened and they're not happy with the whole thing and they, and they write you angry emails and you want to respond to them. And they find that, that, that that's a taxing thing both, both in time and their, their emotional state uh, to deal with those, those folks that are um, you know, just really 
a sore thumb about the whole thing. And so they just have the AI. They say, write this letter um, and write this letter to this person and apologize for this. Uh, tell them we'll send them another one or whatever, whatever they're going to say. And they just give it a couple, three lines and it writes this flowery, you know, long email that's quite nice. And they said, it's much nicer than anything I would write. Um, and it says everything I needed to say. And it has the person feel like they were hurt. <laughs> and it's, it's just like, just have, just have, it's basically just have my assistant write, write a long email to it. And in all fairness, um, I, my first job in TV was writing you won emails and they are a little bit of a grind, you know, like they're, you know, like we, we, I work for prime sports network as a production assistant and, and I, um, and it was, uh, uh, you know, every day I, you know, what, and I automated it. <laughs> so I had it randomly grab, uh, I had, a, I built a system that automated it, um, within a couple of weeks, um, so that I could, um, uh, so I could just have it pass through the system and it would automatically grab the names. It would grab a random version of, uh, like five different letters. So if two people at the same house got the same one, they wouldn't get the, they wouldn't get the same letter and they would, and it looked like it was typed and even some of them had pr purposeful little, uh, um, it was funny, we purposeful um, typos in them so that you felt like someone typed it to you, but it was nothing, you know, and so, so it was, um, so I built all this up and I, I would just hit go every day. So what took a day or maybe three or four hours to do, I reduced to five minutes, which allowed me to learn Photoshop. <laughs> so, cause I, I just, I guess so I took something that for years had taken someone half of the day to do and I got it down to about um, five minutes. And then I spent the, that half of the day uh, going through Photoshop books on the computer that I had access to because I had Photoshop there and a little Mac and, and I uh, learned Photoshop and Illustrator while I was uh, auto automating it. So I get that. But the only thing that'd be a bummer is if they, if they now know that they could do it, then I, I would never have a job. So that's the, that's the real challenge with all of this is, is the, the uh, efficient assistants like me, um, get weeded out early. Go ahead, John. Along those same lines, there's automated tools to write reviews and reply to reviews based upon star ratings. I've seen, I see them all over yeah. the place. Yeah, it's a little, I, you know, I think that it's, it is a, uh, I mean, what's the point anymore? If all these computers are just sitting around talking to each other, what do they need us for? Right, exactly. I mean, I mean, honestly. Well, so so I, here's the thing that I will say is that it is as generally the, the the chain reaction to something that becomes highly automated is people are looking for something that's not automated. So, like for you know, like you can mass produce. I mean, you know, mugs, coffee mugs. That used to be made by hand. Like somebody used to make a coffee mug. Like every coffee mug was made by a person. And they were expensive because they were, or more expensive because someone was doing them by hand. And then we have now machines that do them. They pump them out and buy the thousands and we buy them for $4 with a logo. And and the thing is, is that, but the thing is, is I don't value that as much. The ones that I, the the ones that aren't powered, like the ones I have here that I buy, I, that I value were obviously made by someone by hand. You know, like I like, I like the wabi-sabi kind of a, a feel of a, of a mug that was, that was handcrafted. And so I think that people will lean towards, I think some people will lean towards at the higher end, will lean towards away from automation and towards, towards those things. Mark my words, I think you'll see social network. I mean, you, you can see what, what's happening with X, um, formerly known as Twitter, um, I felt like X really should have looked more like the Prince logo. So you could have, it would have been closer anyway. Um, so the, uh, but, but, you know, they're, they're talking about doing things that force it to be people as opposed to machines. And so I think that you're going to see social networks are going to start going away from automation and towards verification to make sure that what you're talking to is a person, not a machine. Yeah. 
When I was a kid, uh, real quick side story, we don't have a whole lot of questions. When I was a kid, uh, um, I used to watch Romper Room, as many little kids did. And at the end of the move, the show, Miss Marianne would hold up her magic mirror. They did some sort of circle wipe in it. And then she'd say, I see. And she'd rattle off all the names of the kids that were watching it. And, and as a little kid, I used to watch that intently going, do you see me? Do you see me? I was certain that Miss <laughs> Marianne was going to say, and I see Christopher. And I see Alex. And I see Bill. And I see John. And, and I was... And when I figured out that she was just randomly ripping off a bunch of names off the top of her head and she wasn't actually going to see me, that was the beginning of the, the thing that you see as Fenwick's rage in life. <laughs> I was furious. When you figured it out. People want to talk to people. They don't want to talk imagine. to machines or Miss Marianne somehow, pretending that she sees people. Somehow, somehow I can imagine, like... Little little Chris Fenwick angry. Throwing stuff at the TV. Yes. <laughs> like I'm not watching you anymore. <laughs> she never said, I'm, I see Courtney. You're dead to me, Miss Marianne. The birth of rage. <laughs> next, next, next question. How do you follow that? Okay, next question. It's uh, Michael Marsh from San Anselmo asking, I'm digitizing archival PAL VHS from a Panasonic AGW1 deck. The picture is too bright. The whites are tearing. Termination doesn't fix it. There's no time-based corrector available. Could it be a head-cleaning issue? Mitchell? It could be. It could be a bunch of other things, too. Um, what I would do first is uh, find a uh, tape that, that you know has a good set of bars on it. And take a look at that. Uh, does your machine that you're recording to know how to decode PAL? Because there's going to be a sync issue there, and that might be part of what's uh, going on with the tearing. Um, it could also be that the, uh, the heads uh, need cleaning. It could also be that the heads are toast in which case you're really in trouble with an old VHS deck. So there's a lot of things that could be wrong. I'd go back and sort of eliminate as many things as you can by using a different tape that you know is a good standard of bars and tone on it. Courtney? Yeah, there used to be a big problem with uh, encoding uh, analog video into uh, digital format in that uh, the uh, some systems use zero IRE as black, and some systems use 7.5 IRE as black. And usually there's a switch in there that'll tell you uh, so that your decoder or your input uh, encoder actually uh, treats how it treats the incoming video levels, signal levels, whether it treats a zero IRE as black or 7.5. And that sounds like what may be the problem here. Uh, PAL, you know, PAL, your colors are not going to come in correctly if you're set to uh, NTSC. So make sure that your encoder is accepts PAL, uh, that you're bringing it into the, whatever you're using to bring it into the computer. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Michael, it's good that you even know what a TBC is. I think one of the things I have found frustrating in the last, you know, several years of people pulling in old footage, and I don't know that I'd call anything off of VHS archival, but okay, um, old footage and not thinking about it and just digging it wrong. And there's that you definitely want to fix it on the head in garbage in, garbage out. <clears throat> and the better it comes in, the better you're going to make it look. I think the answer might be, although you don't have a TBC available, you may need to find one and uh, somebody's going to have it. And if I'm not mistaken, I think PAL, Courtney, was zero was black. 
but I could be wrong about that. And, and um, there is a place in the South Bay, and I can't think of the name of it, but I'll try to find it, um, that specializes in fixing uh, and supporting old videotape decks. <laughs> so they're in San Jose, I believe. Uh, San Jose or Mountain View. I remember we, I ended up talking to one of them about that. So, um, so take a look for that as well. We'll see if we can find it. Uh, next question. Hasma Kajar in Cape Town, South Africa, asking, Prompter People 24-inch has been my go-to meeting monitor. No concern on eye contact. Prompter now migrating to new studio. For my everyday desk-based meetings, any cost-effective prompter? Bill? You say desk-based, so I think you're looking for something smaller. I'm using a 12-inch teleprompter. I look back on my... uh on my feed from uh, Amazon to see what I bought. It is not this one. Mine is not available anymore, but this is the kind of thing I bought, and it has worked really well for me. It's, you know, this is such a reasonably short distance. You don't need anything too big, and in my case, the the key for me was getting the software that not only ran on the iPad or, in this case, the Lilliput monitor that I'm using to flip it, but even if you're using an iPad style, get an, a piece of software. I use a thing called Teleprompt Plus that does does both the iPad but lets a phone, an iPhone, control it. Having that ability to control it from your well, and hand, I, and, is and I really think that he's easy. mostly using it as an interferon. So I, when it comes to this, I don't, I don't ah, think that. Okay, so maybe it's not really a tel- teleprompter. Mm-hmm. Case. No, it's really just passing video in for eye contact. Ah, okay, that um, different different circumstance. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Uh, they there is a twelve inch uh, that is designed to work with an iPad from Glide Gear, and I've seen these for as cheap as a hundred bucks. Uh, Fry's was selling them for a hundred bucks for a while. Um, they're not very flexible. Uh, they're designed to fit on top of a tripod, but you can mount it on top of a stand instead of a tripod. And uh, the the main problem is the interface between the uh, uh, iPad. You'd have to put a monitor in there instead of using an iPad uh, that has image reverse in it. Uh, but if you have a 12 uh, inch monitor or something, that should work fine and stick it in there. But uh, it it's designed, the clamp is designed to hold something as thin as an iPad. So you may have to adapt it somewhat to hold anything that's thicker than that iPad. Go ahead, Chris. I have a question just in general for the people that use telepro, um, sorry, iPads for a Interatron, you know, fold back. I got to admit, if I did this, you realize I'm looking mostly at myself. So I would just pin myself in that thing. Um, Sociopath. Um, Of course. But uh, when you use an iPad, the people that are using an iPad, are they using the sort of, uh, what is the, what is in the Mac world? I don't know the PC. uh, There's some way where you can make it be an extended uh, desktop. Is that what you're doing? Extended desktop? I am. On okay. mine, so I can drag things. Do you off have my to use a utility to do that, Bill? No, I, no I, Apple I've got does a, it now on the Mac. Apple does it. Yeah, it's just an outside monitor. If you hook it up via HDMI into your video system, it'll just see it and you just drag things to it and determine where around it you want it to be. I mean, it, it will. I mean, Apple will now um, just see any Apple device that is within like a thirty foot radius of your computer and just go. Would you like me to use that as a monitor? Even and if it's like, wireless. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the and the latency is almost zero. I mean, it's I, I draw on it and I, I can't tell the difference. Will it do it to know. my phone? Yeah. yeah. How does this? How does that? How it come goes, that? I don't, see that it, I don't know if it does it with the phone, the but it definitely does it with the iPad. The Air uh, it, it okay. does Air Air AirPlay, and it it's kind of an amazing. It's a little annoying and amazing because when you pop it up, you're like, "Hey, I've got all these monitors. Would you like me to use them?" And you're like, "No, I would not not like you to use that." Um, I do I use work. the continuity across the. Four computers that I have here, mm-hmm. 
And I tell you, with the studio, the iMac Pro, and the Mac Mini that has the the four HDMI outputs, I'm going it's across confusing. 11 displays yeah. with one mouse. Well. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Last question for the first hour. Chester Sweeney, Las Vegas, asking, is the desk with your Zoom equipment and screens the same desk? You do average pencil work, uh, pencil pen paper work on it, or is it a different desk? Uh, Jesse, real quick. We've got a desk for Zoom, a desk for editing, and a desk for writing. Speed round, Bill. One desk to fit them all. I just used one, this one. John? What's a pencil? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Courtney? Not even room to set a pencil down on mine, so no. I don't. I don't have any pencils. I, don't, I, have, I have some pens over way over there that I use for marking things every once in a while. Uh, we get we're, second hour, of course. We're going to talk about super sources here in just a second. Um, just a couple of quick reminders that tomorrow um, we are going to be talking about. We had a little glitch um, in some of our recordings last week, and I thought it'd be kind of fun to start bringing some stuff up that you know wasn't the end of the world, but it was, it allows us to intellectually kind of talk through what those issues are and talk about pipelines and how we manage those pipelines. So that'll be on Wednesday, uh, Thursday, still up in the air. We have it set up for midweek Q and a, but we may, uh, may add something to that. So stay tuned for that for the email tomorrow. Uh, Friday, virtual control room. Um, and this is uh, Corey Benke from LiveX and an old friend of mine. He's going to come on and talk to us about that. And of course, the weekend is uh, Q&A and Sunday's introspection. Uh, introspection is, it's, it's really uh, there for us to just talk about what your questions are, concerns, complaints about office hours so that we can talk through that and more philosophical discussions in general about the, uh, the process. Let's go ahead and jump into the second hour. And we're back. <laughs> Welcome back to the second hour. Um, and uh, the uh, uh, good to see you all. We're still playing with this. It was so much easier when we had uh, a video to, to go to, but we're still not quite hitting the, the eight o'clock right on the dot. Uh, we need to hang on that black for just a little longer or, or edits won't work. Um, anyway, we're working on it. Um, so I'm sitting here watching it. When you, if you're wondering why I'm looking over when we start this, I'm like, oh, did we hit the black on the right time? And we're still not quite hitting it right. But we'll get there. Um, today, we're going to talk about super sources. Now, in the past, we've, we've looked at super sources. We've uh, discussed... Um, uh, we've discussed the super source as far as looking at what other people are doing and talking about those things. And today, you know, I thought we would talk a little bit more about the mechanics of super sources and really ask, answer your questions. So it's a little slower moving. It's not, it's a little, not, not quite as designed as, um, just going through a whole bunch of other people's super sources, but really, um, thinking about super sources and thinking about how they're used and, and really how they get constructed. Now I'm calling them super sources because, this is a term that Black Magic kind of created for this. This is multiple windows that are up there. I think maybe uh, the folks on the back end can throw us into a super source so that we can make sure that we can define it here real quickly. Um, so um, if, if that's possible, I don't know. I have, have a couple. I think with the way our system works, a couple of you have to raise your hands. So a couple of our panelists, raise your hands right now. Raise your, raise your, raise your hands. There we go. And then I'll put them in here because I don't think I don't think we can do it if we don't have people actually in the system. So so go ahead and, and um, go ahead and put up a super source on the back end if you can. Um, and um, but what you're you know, what the super source does, of course, is, is allow us to have um, multi window. Uh, I don't know if that's possible for them to turn that on. Um, <laughs> so are they able to turn it on? Like just push super, super source. 
Would you like to super source that? I, I know. I, I, I think I don't quite understand why we can't do that. Anyway, so um, uh, anyway, so um, so the uh, the super source is a it's a multi window uh, situation. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm just really confused here. Um, anyway, so, so I don't know if there's something. I don't know if we have somebody cutting that right now. Um, anyway, so. Um, there we go. So there's a super source. So um, uh, uh, there's two of us there, and I think that there could be four of us there, or, or you know, so there's two, but we'll, we'll stick with the four um, uh, or, or the two here. So uh, so we've got the two super sources, um, the two of us up, Mitch and I, and um, the, the question is, there's a bunch of different things that happen with that window. Now, when you're looking at that, um, that window there, uh, what you want to see is that there's, you know, there's two of us, but there can be four, eight, as many as we have in, the, in the, the, the switcher allows. But what we have to do is we have to figure out what is that graphic that goes below it or above it. And so that's a, that's a key piece of that puzzle. Um, uh, the, um, uh, is being able to decide whether the video is sitting on top of the graphic or below the graphic. And there is a reason for that, that, that that's important, is that if you, sit the gra- if you sit the video on top of the graphic, it means that it's easier for you to move around, and especially if you don't give it an, an outline. See the little outline that we have here? We're adding that to the super source. That's not added to the gra- graphic. And so, and this depends on every switcher. So if you're using vMix or, or Mimo Live or other things. So this is why we want to kind of talk through some of these things, and we're trying to kind of talk them in, in more generalities, um, which is that um, uh, the uh, in, inside of this, we can have that window um, that's that's there. Either have Black Magic's not capable of this, but VMix and Memo Live are. Which is if I throw this window on top, the window that you see me in, and you see the little edge that goes around it. One of the things we really wish that we could have from Black Magic is an edge, <laughs> you know, that, that went around it, um, that that was that, that defined it um, on a Black Magic. Um, but otherwise, we take that edge off, which we can't do right now. the The issue is is that is that now you can move those graphics around very quickly. So you put them over top of a graphic and now you can kind of re- rearrange where all those video frames look. So if you've, you've got bigger ones. So sometimes you'll see in a broadcast, you'll, you won't see those edges because they're trying to just move things around and they can lay those out very quickly. The advantage of putting the graphic over top, and so this is the, the artwork on top, and I'll show you some examples of that in a second. Um, but the advantage of putting that on top of it is that you can... Um, move our windows underneath it. And so what that means is that we can't do this with this section, but if I do my, let's see here, you can go back to my my single here um, and I'm gonna see, make sure that I have this up. Yeah, this is just a real quick example. And if we can come out of the super source now, um, that'd be great. Um, so yeah, okay, so the, um, uh, so if I um, go into this. So now what you're going to see is you see me here and I am underneath it. And the reason I have that there is so that I, I now can play with that super source. Um, so if I go into my, my presets here and I, um, I can now start to move, you'll see me moving around back and forth here. Now you'll see that I'm underneath. See how I, my, my video is now underneath that super source. And that's, that's important because, um, and if I, if we can, Move this down a little bit. If Black Magic calls this a foreground graphic, uh, the, artwork. the industry term is typically a mortise. It's called a mortise, right? Which is just a graphic with a hole in it, and it makes it easier to zoom in and recrop. And 
Yeah, and and so and and, and a lot of them, the, the, yeah, you can see what's happening here. So if I make mine just a little bit bigger, what I don't have to do, I only have to worry when it gets over. See how that 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 one piece has come over here. So this is what you have to think about when you're building these. Is um, the only thing you have to figure out is that with your video here, of it popping over on top of that, and and so the mortises is, is a. Um, it's useful, you know, in, in the sense that uh, now I don't have to, my, my precision, it'll always, these, these, these areas here are always going to line up, you know, and I can just move my videos around and, and they're all inside of something as opposed to on top of something. The downside of that is that if you want to change this design, you can't just move the windows around. You know, you have to actually go back into your, um, whatever you're using for design. In this case, I did this actually, um, one of the things to note is I, to build this example, just as an experiment, I use, I typically use motion for most of my, um, my super sources, but I actually use Keynote for this. So this is Keynote, um, you know, to lay this little, this little one out. I used Keynote because I wanted to see, it was actually based on, I had a, something else set up and I, but I was talking to someone about it and they're like, well, I don't have motion and I don't have Photoshop and I don't have these other things. And so, um, Keynote will actually let you, um, cut this out. Um, you know, this, this system out and this is using the Boolean functions inside of, inside of Keynote. Um, so you basically put the windows where you want them. So I'll show you here the, uh, let's see here. Uh, I'm going to go back to my full screen. Um, and I'll bring you into Keynote here for a second. And you can build these in anything. Like, I mean, anything that can build something with an alpha channel is, is all you need to do here. But if I go into, um, Keynote here, you'll see this is, um, so what I have are these, these windows, and this is just a, uh, this is a, a window here. I think I, I'm going to grab another one here. So now I have these are individuals. And what's nice about this is I can figure this out, have the rounded corners. That's one thing you can do with a mortise that you can't do with when you have the regular videos is is, is have a rounded edge. Um, anyway, so you have this, you have these here. And what I'm going to do is simply, I, I select this one, select this one. And I, um, you can't see it because it's under um, uh, format, but it's on my other screen. I apologize for that. And I subtract the shapes, and um, I just deleted one. Hold on. I, think I somehow grabbed that. This worked so well on a second ago when I was doing this. So I grabbed this, this. Oh, yeah, because I, um, it is because the other one fell behind it. So if I, uh, if I format this and I go, uh, this is subtract shapes under shapes and lines. And then if I send this one to the, uh, if I put this one on the back, you'll see the What I do there. when I do deal with transparency in keynote is i'll make the background color and a silly like super bright pink just so i can see that it's doing it and then before i export the image i change the background to none because for whatever reason i think photoshop might have a lock on the uh the little grid pattern that Usually, I don't know if they do. I, I really do wish that that Apple did do that. <laughs> so it was, it'd be nice. Um, you mean the checkerboard? Yeah, it's used in a lot of things. I don't think that that's. Well, I don't know so what, what you're talking about is using along. this color. So you're saying like that, you know, or something, so that you can see that it's. Now um, I know that that blue thing has a hole. It has two holes in it, and then before I change it. I, or, or I export it, I change my background image to none. And, go back here. and it'll look like black, but it's not actually black. It's actually transparent. Right. 
And so if you're playing, the reason that I'm showing Keynote, whether you're using Keynote or uh, PowerPoint, which PowerPoint will do all of this as well, um, is that it's a really fast way to build out your super sources. So a lot of people feel like they have to have Photoshop or something like that. In many ways, there are tools in here that make this easier because if you go in here, I can go, like before I cut them out, that's the one thing that makes it a little harder, but before I cut them out, um, you know, I can sit here and just kind of play with these. You know, I don't know why I would do um, a super source that way. Um, but uh, let's see here. And the nice thing about it, oops, is that if you if you select these and you want to center them, you know, all that stuff is all stuff that just happens pretty automatically with with Keynote. And so, um, so anyway, so those are the kind of things that you can kind of lay out. But especially um, I've got kind of gotten into using Keynote as a layout tool um, oops, let me see, so to lay things out and figure out what I, uh, I'll go back to my full screen here. But I've kind of started to use Keynote as a, if I'm trying to think about stuff. In fact, I use Keynote for layout, laying out lots of things. Anytime I make a suggestion about how something should look, I've kind of decided to use Keynote for most of those things because it's a lot faster than Photoshop or Illustrator for me to just figure the layouts out. So, you know, the main thing is, is that as you start to figure these out, one of the things you want to think about is why you're doing what you're doing. So we have a couple different super sources. We're not going to try to go through them here, but in one case, we want a super source that is everyone that's about to ask the question. So we have, um, you know, a lot of times we'll have, you'll see us, you know, as you start to think through these. Um, Look at us, right here. Here's here the are. four people that so raised their hand. There, there's the four of us. So, so anyway, and this, by the way, if you're wondering why um, we we have that little head thing that we use, there's a couple of reasons, but. A big reason that we use a head guide um, is so that everybody's heads in a super source match. You know, so it, it you know, so a lot of times what we do is, is um, in fact, we're working on this other, working on something else where we, the user will always see their that little head, a very, very subtle little head there to kind of keep them guided towards where to go so that our super sources work. Um, and so I think that Zoom should incorporate that. So we can just turn it on and everybody sees the little circle of like, hey, you're, you're in or you're out. Um, and, uh, but, but it does make the whole thing, the whole super source look a lot more natural um, that you can see here. So, so I think that that is, um, uh, but this one here is the next four people that are going to, talk. Uh, in some cases, if especially if we're not ready for that, we have another super source that is just me and the question asker or, or um, that is um, or, or Mitch today. Um, so we're going to go out of that and probably go back to that. But the, um, and those are two up. In our case, that's sometimes a safety because we don't have, um, no one's raised their hand in time or we don't have their hands up. So this is the, this is the one that we have here. Other things you have to think about when you think about super sources, of course, is also um, this area down below, so this area here, um, when you build a super source, you have to think about what is else is going on in the frame. So a super source doesn't, very rarely does it exist like you see it here, which is by itself. Usually there's a question, there's a comment, there's, 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 there's tickers, there's bugs, there's all these other things. So the super source sits inside of all of those things. Um, other things that we like to do, or that I like to do anyway, is I tend to make my super sources uh, a cool color in nature. And you'll find that in general, backgrounds for me are almost always cooler colors and not warmer colors. Um, and the reason I do that is because then they don't compete with people's skin. And so it creates a, I think that people look better in, in um, if you have the background be slightly darker than they, they are and, and, and cool colors, whether it's green or blue um, in purple in some cases, but 
as you start to move into those warmer colors, the yellows, the reds, and everything else, I find that, that in whites, people use white in the super source, they really do. Um, and um, as you as you start to do that, you're taking, you make the the people look drab. If you wonder why I do so much where I spend so much time building gray backgrounds and low, you know, low contrast backgrounds and everything else, it's so that people stand out. Um, and so when you think about your super source, you also want to think about um, what that means as well. Uh, now, the cool thing about the, uh, you know, about a lot of these things is you can build those mortises that that Chris talked about, um, you know, are interesting. One of the things that we've had challenge with, and I don't have the example here with, with it, but we get into a situation where you have a client that wants a mortise that is, you know, it's, the, it's the, this person, you know, however they're cut out, but they want to animate this and they have, the problem is, is they end up having like, they have like some extra pieces around the mortise. We've had some entertainment clients really want this to look like a, you know, kind of a cool frame. This is hard, <laughs> like, you know, to do it in most things. It's easier in a software switcher. So if you're, if you're using a Memo Live or a TriCaster or vMix, this is not hard. In a hardware switcher, it's kind of designed to cut out and be something in, in the foreground. And so what we've done here to make these work inside of an ATEM, and again, I know that people using vMix and, and TriCasters and Memo Live will tell me that, well, this would be easy in there. So you're right. You're right. I'm just going to let you know. You're right. Um, on, a, on, a, on a switcher, we um, go from one switcher to an, We have a lot of switchers in the office. And we literally apply the mortises to each person and send them out into the other switcher with the mortise and the alpha channel already or over black so that we can key them back in over top of it in the second switcher. It works. It's just a little, it's a little funky. Um, anyway, so, um, but that's the, you know, that, that is the, um, the nature of that process. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I just wanted to show, if you don't mind, uh, the, um, the thing that you tried to do, but we couldn't see the menu that you did. And I got to say, I, I don't, I've never actually done it this way using uh -huh. Keynote. But as usual, Alex has a great idea. So here's the thing. And this, this curve thing is, is editable. So I can make it more editable. I can bring this over. You option drag another window out and I can get them centered. And if I needed to, I could do a four up very quickly. Okay. Boom, boom. Uh, like that. And then get them centered. So what I do, this is my background. So this is just a, a solid fill. And you can see that the slide background is color fill and it's filled with the color fill of white. So just to be sure, I'm going to make it, you know, a silly background. So now I know that's the background, but if I come over here and change it to no fill, it's transparent, although transparent in Keynote looks like black. So I'm going to go back to the color fill and I'll recenter my background image. And this is the part that was on, well, that was weird. I accidentally typed. Um, this is the part that was off screen for Alex. So if I select all four of these and the background, and I go to format, uh, what is it, shapes and lines, subtract, and there's my background image. So, and I think, can I still, no. Now, now those images are, those uh, frames are gone. They were just used to cut the hole. And that's why probably a good idea would be to duplicate this frame in case I want to go back to using this exact frame. Yeah, I mean, I go think like that's that. The, that, that is the fallback on the... Uh, um, Subtract. That's, and the, now, that's the... Yeah, go ahead. And then the last step, sorry, the last step is I then want to go to my slide 
and change my current fill to none. It will look black, but this is actually a purple thing with four holes in it. Yeah, and and I will say that uh, it's a really fast way to to mock up ideas, you know, for this. And really uh, uh, using, and it was, again, it was kind of a, a epiphany that I had of, oh, I could just use, because I use, um, I use Keynote a lot for a lot of these things um, just because it's really fast, you know, and I can save it and I can send it to somebody and they can look at it and they can do stuff. And so, um, you know, like for instance, I've kind of moved, you know, with my, uh, with my countdown clocks, you know, I, I do, I build the countdown clocks in motion, but I realized that, oh, Keynote can, can put them out as well. And if they're not moving, if they're, if the only thing that's moving is the countdown clock, I just export the, I export the countdown clock out as its own layer and then bring it in. I think Keynote should build its own countdown clocks. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, but, uh, but I think that it would be, um, it's a, it's a, and then I can just move, I can just move things around if the client says they want to do something that's really, really fast for me to do it. Go to Courtney. Yeah, I was going to ask Chris, once you create that mortise in uh, Keynote, do you export that as a PNG with alpha, with an alpha yeah. layer? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And the other question I had is, is uh, I don't have a extreme, and I know we're using a constellation, which has four or six inputs, uh, reentry points on the super source. Is so you four? can do the, the, you know, again, when you're using a software one, I think it's, I don't know if there's any limit to the number of windows that you can make except for your GPU. So, um, uh, CPU, no, but GPU, I'm talking but, about the ATEMs, right. yeah. For the ATEM, they are limited, each super source is limited to four, but there's two super sources in the, uh, constellation and there's one super source in the, um, in the uh, mini extreme. And, and uh, again, I will say that if you're using a black magic, we're not going to get into it too deeply here because it, really kind of deserves its own second hour. Um, and maybe we'll do this again soon. But uh, you should not do super sources in a black magic switcher without Mix Effect Pro. <laughs> like yeah. Mix Effect Pro is a $50 well, app. It is, it is, it transforms the super sources into something that's usable. So the, my other point was that uh, in the software control for uh, black magic, you have the DVD, the DVE tab, which gives you the settings as to what's going to go in each super source window, essentially. Well, you don't use the DVE tab itself. You use the, the, um, I yeah, believe super source. The, yeah, I understand that. But, one, yeah. but do you have, uh, my question is, do you have all these controls like, uh, yeah, position, you have uh, size, so you can scale mm -hmm. the image that goes into each super source. You have mask, so you can turn that on or off. And you have uh, shadows, drop shadow, and you have border, which you were complaining about. You know, you couldn't set a border. No, no, you have that in DVE, but not in SuperSource. I see. So you don't have all of these same controls in SuperSource, no. although it does use yeah, the same type of compositor. Yeah, yeah, it does, but you don't have shadow or, not that I'm bitter, <laughs> but you don't have shadow uh, or... Um, or uh, border, no. But you can program pre-program in, which Mix Effect Pro does, uh, where he programs and moves and scales uh, like this. So right. you have a set A and a set B. The challenge and it'll, it'll do a move between those two points. Yeah. Yeah, and the challenge really is that whole um, moving. If you're moving the super source, uh, so the 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 challenge you get yourself into is if you're if you're trying to do an animated move from one super source to another super source, that is where um, Mix Effect Pro works well, but you can't use a, a mortise in the way that Chris was talking about right. because the yeah, mortise yeah. now is You have to use the original dynamic. video windows, which it's controlling the video and the actual windows. Yeah, the tricky... The mortise the tricky, is just an old, a single overlay, yeah. Yeah, the tricky way to do that 
is to, um, you can key, pre-key the video um, with a cu curved edges, and then you can animate between the two. So you pre-key it before it goes in. Um, I once did a, a, a show um, where we had a lot of zooming up and down. Like one of the things I used the super source for is I had two people being interviewed and um, I wanted when the one person starts talking, when the guest starts talking, I want their window to get bigger and the other one to get smaller. And then I just kind of keep moving back and forth um, with those. And, and literally with, with uh, you know, again, with software, it'd be easier. But with MixEffect Pro, I had a whole constellation and everything else. And I, I cut the whole show on an iPad, just tapping three or four different little icons. Oh, I want to go to this. I want to go to this. I want to go to this. And, and it, was, um, it was, it felt weird to be... Um, <laughs> do it cutting an entire because it was just two people talking but it, cutting an entire show for 60,000 viewers <laughs> on, on four things on my iPad was a very weird weird experience but but it worked um and so uh so anyway so I think that that but that's the kind of thing that you want to um uh that you can think outside the box and where can I, you know, it's just understanding the stack and deciding where to key it. And again, I will say that super sources, mortises, uh, multi-view, whatever you want to call them, this is where software switchers do, do look, you know, often do better. The only challenge with the software switchers is that they can get, you can start doing things that they can't do on your computer. So you have to be very careful of how much processing power um, is there. You were going to say something, Chris? Yeah, I don't know how relevant this is, although it, it could be quite. I just got a message from Tuomo, and he is about to release SPX graphics for Zoom uh, version 1.0. Yeah. And he said that there is a image layer capable. So you could, in essence, yeah. build a mortise inside yeah. of Zoom and use SPX graphics. That's and he's great. watching right now. So hey, hey Tuomo. Tuomo, uh, you, come on. Ping us if you're ready to show it. Let us know when you're ready to show uh, the new SPX for for Zoom. If you even if you want to give us a preview, you could do that too. So he says he says it hurts my. He he was asking if he could use the Fenwick Framer and have it be pre preset as a thing in there. I said of course. He says it it hurts my eyes when people join Zoom and all I can see is their forehead. <laughs> it hurts my soul, Tomomo. Yeah, I, I, I just think I'd love to have a meeting where I can just subtly turn it on and it just you see like a little circle. It doesn't we don't want to tell you what it is. It's just like a little circle. You know people we people will find their head. They'll 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 just kind of move around. You know, once they realize what it is and they realize everybody else is using it, they'll you don't have to say anything. You just put it I on. I do it in tech checks all the time when they have like a they, a, a pre meeting and you put them in and you see the people go, Oh Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> find their space. <laughs> or they get mad. And bitter. Uh, go ahead, uh, Bill. Just the power of mortises in general. I used them a lot on the very first Office Hours music video. Uh, I had so many sources doing so many things that the ability to go in and reframe shots, because most of these shots were a little off balance one way or another. So I was constantly zooming in, zooming out, trying to figure out what people wanted to see, whether I want to do two ups, three ups, pop people into the middle of things. And without the use of this mortise idea, this is incredible incredibly difficult to do. When you build a series of mortises that m allow you to just put a video down there and then put whatever content you want into it, make it as big or as small as you want, it saves hours of fiddly work. Now, you can only do this for things you're producing, not for live, but without mortises, that would have been an impossible task. Let's go to the first question. 
First question from James Fosling in Minneapolis, Minnesota. After playing with motion replicators for a bit, I'd love a super source lab. Anyone up to doing something today after the show? It's very hard for us to organize lab. We don't find that labs right after shows work well. Um, it's just it's hard to get people to show up because they weren't ready for that. And they've got other things planned in the day. Uh, doing a super source lab later in a, in a week or two, I think, is a totally doable thing. Doing it today probably wouldn't happen. Uh, I will say that motion and the replicators are exceptionally good um, for doing super sources where I've built a lot of them. And the big advantage with that is that I don't know if I can put it together fast enough. But um, the big advantage of the replicators um, is that you can loop them easily. So uh, let me see if I can pull one up quickly here. Um, let's see. Let's see if I can. Uh, there we go. The This one probably won't be the, the best, but we'll let me see if I can pull it up quickly. Um, just going to see if I can find the And the behavior, let's see, uh, this one doesn't have it um, in the sequence. Hold on. Sequence setting. Uh, let's see. Spread loops. Yeah. So um, let me pull this over so you can see it. This is this is not a great example of it, but I'll, I'll just show you this. This is the secret sauce to um, motion, which is, so if you look at motion here that has, you know, I have a little replicator here. It's doing this. This is not a good example of what you'd want to do for background. That would make everybody crazy. But it's built. It has one little setting inside of your sequence, inside of the replicator and inside a sequence. You have one thing that's called loops. When will that, when will this sequence control loops? So you're building the sequence and it'll loop every three seconds. And what that means is that uh, you can build perfect loops inside of this every single time. So if you want it, it, obviously you would typically have it be a lot slower than what this is showing, but you can do something where you can build it so that any kind of replicator that you're using inside of motion will automatically loop at a certain uh, rate. So that way you can build a super source that always has these kind of slow moving loops um, that are in the background and they're always going to end. So there's no hops, there's no hiccups. Now, the other way to do that is to do a um, back and forth. So you, you go out and then you reverse it and come back. Um, but that can be obvious in some cases. And so having something go by and being able to create a perfect loop is something that um, motion does. And I don't, there's not a lot of other things to do it well without more work. So you, if you have replicators, they'll, they'll do all of that for you. And it's really powerful. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. And if you're interested in motion and replicators, the, the single guy I go to always for my motion stuff is Mark Spencer at Ripple Training. Mark is an absolute master at motion. And I think if you just search for some of his YouTube tutorials, it'll probably get you a long way. I agree. I think that I think the forty nine dollars you can spend to add motion into the to the your ecosystem is probably the single most efficient use of money in the world. That is such a deep and fabulous program. It really it's is so cheap. It is. It's it's, crazy. It's, 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 a, it's a crazy, like for 50 bucks. I mean, I, just as a countdown clock generator for me, oh. even even though it's not perfect at what it does, it's just super fast and easy and it just works. Um, same thing with the replicators. Just just that one right. thing that it does is is worth a lot of the trouble um, of just, just, you know, if you're building any kind of looping background, um, using the replicators to do that makes it. I've solved thousand dollar problems in five minutes using this forty nine dollar tool. It scares me. Next question. 
Graham Cardwell in Belfast, Northern Ireland, asking, we have an ATM 1ME4K. Can we bodge a super source with DVE and pin P, et cetera? You can kind of do it uh, with a 1ME. I, I will say the number one reason to get a 2ME is because the super source comes with those t- 2MEs. Um, the only 1ME that I know of that does the super source is the ATEM. I think maybe the new 1ME may have a super source in it, but I thought it didn't. Um, the You can kind of do it. You can get a couple. You can get DVE will give you picture in picture, but you're not going to get the multiple sources that you need for, for that. Um, next question. From Narcisse by Faith, I will like to, oh, I would like to reproduce sort of the same multi-view with lower third and text appearing on gallery view and office hours. I have the multi-view 16 and an ATEM 4ME Constellation HD with a Decklink Quad 2. I would appreciate it if you could guide me with a step-by-step. Um, yeah, so the, the way we do, I'm just looking at this real quickly here. So we're doing ours with mix effect. Well, we're doing a mixture of MixEffect Pro and SPX. So SPX is is what generates all the graphics that we use um, for what we're doing. And then the, um, uh, so that lower third that pops up, that's all generated by SPX. And that is using um, a PC with Casper. Um, and so that does a key fill out from that PC into our switcher. So that's what's generating the lower third there. Um, the big multi-view is we're actually using a multi-view 16 and um, uh, in most cases. And then, you know, we have to build different mortises. You know, here we go. The, this is a, this is a, the six of us up. Um, and you'll, you, the problem with the multi-view 16 is that you can have, um, you can have six, uh, I mean, I can have four, nine, or 16. So right now, you know, we might want to organize this in a slightly different way, but we we have a nine up, you know, so if we're less than nine, we're going to do a nine up. And, you know, and so that's the, um, that's our, those are our choices there as far as making it work. So it works pretty, with six people, it looks pretty nice. With five, it doesn't look as nice. Um, and so, uh, so that's the thing that we have to kind of look at. But so the, but that mortise, we have to build a mortise for every option up to 16. And so, you know, knowing that, that that's out there. So that so that mortise is sitting over top of all of those things. And the reason it sits on top is because we want to have those little nice rounded edges, which I think add a little bit to it. Um, I, think, I feel like it looks, you know, hard. The hard edges look a little garish. So, um, so having the little um, rounded edges there is what we're... But that, the graphic that sits... So that graphic is over top of us cutting us out. And so what it looks like it's behind us, it's actually on top of us, um, you know, basically masking out our, our corners and, uh, you know, setting us up that. And then that's the four up there that you can see. So you can have four, 16, nine um, with that. And so that's not using a traditional super source. That's just using a multi-view. And again, when you start getting into that, this is where it goes the other direction where it gets a little harder from a CPU perspective to generate all of these frames at a very low latency um, in, you know, so generating nine or 16 sources at a very low latency um, through a computer is something that we've been struggling with because it, it'll add latency to the process. And, and so it's that, that 16 still works uh, well for us in that case. Um, next question. From Georgie Chantvery Bortnik from Swissvale, New Hebrides. Uh, due to how it's designed in terms of processing and chip power, the way Blackmagic manages its super source feature for compositing and layers can be very different from the rest of the industry. How do we translate lessons from this hour to other gear? Well, I think mostly it's why we mostly talk today about the design of them and how we get over them and so on and so forth and less about the mechanics of a black magic switcher. Um, you know, so so I think that from a super source perspective, uh, you know, the the main thing is really thinking about 
um, across any of these platforms. Are you putting the videos over top? Are you putting them underneath? Are, are you, you know, and, and I think that one of the things that we, again, as we, if you look back at older versions where we've looked at super sources, how, com, how, uh, you know, I tend to like my super sources to be a little out of focus, a little cool um, and not moving a lot, you know, because I find them to be distracting. I was watching um, Monday Night Football um, last night because Steelers were playing and uh, their super sources went from being, you know, it's, it's just too much. <laughs> it's just too much. It's like you allow them. Well, they just have this huge Monday night football thing above it and it's got all this stuff on it and it's super garish. And the only the, the only thing that was worse than the design for the Monday night football um, stuff was the fact that they were playing two games at one time, which doesn't make any sense. Um, anyway, because all the players, all the people watching the football game know who they're watching. <laughs> they don't need to see both games at the same time. And it was just annoying. You just It was just a disrespect of the of the of the entire experience um anyway so but if you go back and look at the monday night football stuff in their super sources they have all these mechanical everything else and it kind of looks cool but like from a 90s perspective like in you know uh 90s or or early aughts um it's not it doesn't feel like it's kept up it's not clean um and it's 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 a little rough and so you do want to think about that super source the more the more you make it a thing the, the care, more careful you have to be with it. I think that if you look at the Sunday night football and the and the and the Thursday night football, you'll see a, a more a much better designed and more subtle uh, look at super sources that that really looks good and and um, but as the super sources, you know, with everything else, it should be something that serves that market, serves the viewer, not something that that overwhelms the viewer or calls itself out. In my opinion, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, just the terminology. I mean, Blackmagic came up with the super source idea. Basically, it's a 4DVE input, uh, which would be in a Ross or, or I guess Chris will probably know a lot more about this than I do because I haven't been in that situation as a TD for many years. But they used to call them multiple reentry switchers. And so each DVE layer, mix effect layer, uh, has will take uh, a video source and deposit a second video source in a window somewhere on top of or underneath that other video source. And then if you have two of those, you can take the output of one ME, ME uh, bus and input it to the next ME bus and put a second picture on top of that. And then same thing with the third and the fourth. So it's eventually adding layers for each ME bus on your switcher. And uh, Blackmagic just does that digitally and gives you four, basically four ME buses with DVE effects to be able to scale, size, crop, position, uh, each one of those video inputs separately without having to take up, a, without having to give you all the buttons for an ME bus uh, uh, to control each one of them. Uh, you have to go behind the scenes and set up your super source ahead of time. It'd be tough to do because you don't have all those buttons exposed on a live switcher. Go ahead, Chris. I think, uh, Courtney, typically the phrase, the term re-entry meant that like Emmy, if it, and again, I think Grass, I think Grass Valley and uh, Blackmagic do this separately, differently. In, in Grass Valley, which is, you know, the godfather of switchers, Emmy uh, one is the furthest from your belly and then two, three. And a re-entry is when you had the output of Emmy three was also an input backup on ME1. That's typically what they refer to as a re-entry. What you're talking about, um, 
the, the way I used to do it is we would use DVEs, outboard devices, where each channel of the DVE had its own router into it, which could be an output of an ME, but typically just uh, you know a cuts only router. Um, and you would pump you know camera one into ch- channel A and camera two into channel B, very similar to the way it works in a Black Magic. But again, it was a whole lot of hardware, a whole lot of extra stuff. But I think that re-entry typically means folding and, a low ME back up into a high ME. And, and one of the things that this is one of the reasons you have multiple MEs, you know, so if you were wondering, like, why would you need more than one ME? And I'm showing it in a small one ME. But the real thing is, is that you can build these super sources and design them and everything else in another ME and be you able just to leave it alone. Um, and now it's and just leave, a cross point then, on your program bus. Yeah, you're just cutting to it. And, um, you know, so there's a lot of, you know, so that's one of the reasons we use the second ME is or third ME or fourth ME is to build graphics or build support graphics um, because then you can also do things like you can have an you can have one ME be the super source but another ME is serving the that one ME is like ME three might be serving a video into one of the windows for ME two so now you're cutting a show inside of a super source that is then being delivered to to um, to program and so that's another mechanic we're showing the most basic version of this but Emmys and the reason you do that is like in the news where you have you know you have your host you know here and then you have the larger you know shot here and you're cutting a show here right you're like literally cutting a show of you know different let's just say it's breaking news and the host is sitting here talking about it but you're but you you need to cut to different sources you might even have lower thirds you might have all of these things that are happening inside of this and you're having it happen inside of one me and then it's passing that into the super, the super source is not looking at a camera source it's looking at an me you know so it's saying looking at the program of me3 as in in me2 or me4 or whatever and so that we're cutting we're able to cut the program in this in this um in that super source there so so that i think that's that's the you know why why you start stacking these me's up good chris what what i would say to people is if you don't know that you need multiple me's you probably don't but when you figure out oh <laughs> I right. wish I could. Then you need multiple Emmys. Yeah, and that's the way I would describe it. Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, at home in my in my office, I have a this mini extreme, and it's perfect, great little size, and doesn't make a lot of noise, and I can. I have more more keys than I'll ever use, more more buttons than I'll ever use, um, but I won't do productions without at least two. <laughs> you know, like I won't, like I don't do productions with with one Emmys. Although we did do one where I I had uh, we had eight. I actually did it. I bought them for the project. We bought eight one MEs, and then um, and then we used each one of them basically as an ME. So we had eight MEs. And the reason we were doing this is we were doing game, um, we we're covering games, and so each switcher became um, a way that we could design the graphic of the you know, how the person's going to look with a DVE and we'd have all this stuff that was all built in and then that they were all feeding into a bigger switcher that was, so I, I basically built a 12 ME switcher out of um, a 4 ME and a, an 8 1 ME's. Go ahead, um, Mitchell. Yeah, we used to call them quad splits and we'd build them in a DVE uh, with the different channels and we had the control and pretty much build it the way you were just saying. We used to use a kaleidoscope because mm-hmm. that was yep. the old Sony mixer or yeah. Vision mixer. A quad split could also just be a wipe, though. It could be just a, a could be. wipe. It was, it was probably based on that. Next question. 
Douglas Carmichael is here with a question. If you wanted to display hymnal lyrics along with a display of the pastor and choir in a church environment, would it be easier on the viewer to use a super source of the music and the pastor choir or use follow the bouncing ball lyrics on the lower third? Good, Bill. That's really an aesthetics question, and the reason I say that is because I always think first and foremost, what is what am I directing the eye of my viewer to do? I have seen people get into trouble with too much action on the screen. So if you're doing a lot of quick cuts of the congregation of individuals, and you have something at the bottom that is pulling up lyrics, and you're trying to get a shot uh, keyed over that of the pastor who's uh, speaking... To me, it's like they're getting confused. And I try, the more elements I have on screen, the better I think my design needs to be and the clearer. I mean, if it's just a Christmas service and I want to put a snow background and do super sources on top of that, great. I don't think I'm going to confuse anybody and they'll read the lyrics when they want to read the lyrics and they'll look at the people when they want to look at the people. But if it gets too confusing, I think you've overdone it. That's my philosophy anyway. And uh, yeah, go ahead, Chris. I would just do what everybody else does. Take the the current line or maybe two lines that people are singing and drop it in as a lower third. That way you can cut behind it. You can see reactions. You can see the the band, the singers, etc. Uh, whoever's advancing the graphics has to pay attention, though. Otherwise, it gets really awkward and you get a lot of people looking around the room going, what's going on? Yeah, as you would start adding graphics, you, do, you definitely add... Um, more responsibility to to make it, you know of, of things of the whoever's running it to pay attention. Next question, Stefan Fischer from Würzburg, Germany. What are the layouts which work best for presentation purposes with two or three speakers and a presentation running? So, what I recommend for a lot of these things is to really think about um, watch TV. Try not to watch corporate broadcasts. Um, don't, don't use that as your model because it's usually pretty bad. Um, and so, so really think about, um, how you might want to think about broadcast. So think about your, your, whatever you're streaming as a show, not as a corporate broadcast. Cause we get into these things where we can get these horrible, like, here's your thing. And now we're going to have a guy over here and he's going to talk and you're going to, it's just going to stay frozen that whole time. And you don't need to do that. Um, so what I would, what I would do with this, if I had three speakers talking, I would probably build. I would probably build it this way, and I'd probably bring, build them down the side. But I'd only bring them up at certain times. I, you know, I'd, I'd pop into them. What I wouldn't do is leave them up. So the thing to remember about, uh, in general, in most of our life, unless something's going horribly wrong, uh, everything is continuous and nothing moves very fast in front of us. So in front of our eyes, um, they, you know, things evolve. <laughs> we're walking. We're looking at things. Things don't. Things don't change. You're in a pretty fixed frame most of your life. Um, when you, uh, when you edit, you're creating a violent action to your brain. <laughs> like if you're watching something, every time it cuts, that's not something you see in nature. And so cutting actually, you don't want to cut too often unless you're, uh, there's some YouTubers that love to, to cut every, every couple seconds. But, but generally you, when you cut, you want to give people a time to, there's a, and Chris can talk more about it of, of a pacing, but you want to create some energy with those with those edits um, or give people time to sit and watch what's going on. So the, the balance here really is, you know, you can go to the super source and when they're interacting with each other, I think it makes sense to have them all up there. 
if one person is presenting for a little while, which I don't recommend, by the way, um, is um, is that I would I would sit there. And one thing that you can have a lot of fun with is remember when you do these when you build these out. If you really think about the layers, one of the things that I like to do is if I know where the the presentation is, I might actually build their super source to go over top of the background like that and kind of like little flags like that. Um, this is a little, you need a little bit of a, a mortise to, you know, to, to hide this, you know, but you build this out so that they sit over top of each other. And then you have to understand your layering of these videos to make that actually work. Um, but the nice thing about it is, is it, it kind of, um, it gives it a little bit more of an artsy look because no one ever sees that. No one ever sees the weird things that people don't see very often in, um, in broadcast is one video overlapping another video. Um, and another thing is, is, you know, rounded corners. So I tend to use both a lot when I'm building these things out as I, as I build these little systems out so that I can, um, do, do things that kind of break something that you're used to. Um, so anyway, so that's, that's something to kind of, um, think about there. But again, I would, I would really strongly consider, um, coming back to a full frame as often as you can and not and, and letting people watch what's there. Um, and, but, you know, cutting and then cutting to the person. So one of the things that we talk about when someone's doing a presentation is if they're looking down, then cut to the screen. If they're looking up to the, to the TV, then cut to them. And you can go back and forth a little bit, but you, you know, just this mechanical, like, and then we have to train the speakers to do that is look at your, when you're talking to your screen, look at your screen. That tells us when to cut to the screen, <laughs> you know, and, and it's fine if you, if it's not perfect, because as they look down, it kind of tells the viewer you're about to go to the screen that they're looking at. And then they're going to talk about it a little bit and they're going to look up to say something, say something to someone. And that, I think that if, if you can get into that dance with your speakers, it, it's a pretty, I think it's as, it's as good as you're, you're going to make it. But again, I, I, I would highly recommend, you know, uh, I know that you're going to be asked because this is what corporate does, but people talking for half an hour is a really um, low yield impact um, on uh, the viewers because most people tune them out. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, the, in terms of like directing something like this, uh, Stefan, um, I always say that everything on screen has to have meaning and purpose. It, it has to be done purposeful. Yeah. Um, one of the, I, I can remember early on in my career cutting a show for a director and we got like 35, 40 minutes into something and he said to, he said this out loud. He goes, camera three, Dolly Wright, let's try something new. And I was like, why? Well, I mean, I'm just getting bored. Okay, the, the, you, so you're serving yourself and not the viewer. And you're not serving that the content on screen has to be presented. It doesn't matter if you're bored. You don't just change camera shots because you're bored. Uh, the, the, the camera shots should have been picked out purposefully before you started. And now it's a, it's a game of endurance. And granted, it's not exciting, but it is the information at hand. And you have to be thinking of it in terms of the person who's actually watching it. And yes, you can make formulas like Alex mentioned. If you look down, cut to this. If this happens, cut to that. But even formulas break. And the real trick to directing something that's not exciting, which has been my career, is do you have the endurance to get through it and follow the action. The other thing about like a multi-camera, like an interview or people interacting, as Alex was mentioning, imagine that you are standing around in a circle at a party and you're all holding a long neck and you're having a conversation and people are talking. Who are you as the 
the person who's not talking. You're just listening in. You're eavesdropping on the conversation. Who are you looking at? What are you looking at? The person talking might be saying something funny, and you want to see, does the other guy chuckle? And as a good director, you're going to be watching that frame going, oh, here he goes, take two. You know, and you're going to get that chuckle. It might be nice to have a two up. You might want to go to the the quad split or the the four up, whatever you the super source, whatever you want to call it today. Um, but follow the action. Everything has to have meaning and purpose. I joke, the directing's really easy. You just put moving lips in every frame, but not necessarily. Sometimes you need to see the thing. Cool. And then the the level one of editing is lips and frame level. You know, you go into expert <laughs> yes. level, you start doing what Chris is talking about. Um, but, you know, a lot of times what happens is we have 20 rooms to cover and I don't have that many great TDs. And it's hard. And so a lot of times what I do is I go, well, I just need you to like follow just, follow these rules. I g- agreed. But but I'm but what I'm saying is to really follow it well, you begin to understand what great directors are. And and I will yeah. say, I've had the opportunity to work some, with some really good directors in my career. And I've had some opportunities to work with directors that were really bad. And yeah, I learned I mean, from both of them. The uh, this is a, We're getting a little bit into a tangent, but I think it's worth it. The, the, be- the good TDs that are, that are manageable can follow the rules and give you a, um, a solid show that just feels like you don't, um, that you don't notice it, right? That's a good TD. Like I, I um, there's many shows that I, I just need a good TD to just make sure that you don't notice the bad edits. You don't notice that you're hanging on someone too long. You don't, un, you know, you don't notice that you're cutting away to someone that doesn't matter. You know, all those things just to, just to be an invisible, invisible. That's like, that's table stakes. Great TDs are the ones that um, are curious, like they, they're listening for something. They're hearing the story. They're, they're jumping around. They're going, I wonder about this. And they're following their interest in what the person's talking about. And they're just kind of following it around and they're kind of, they're curious and they're, and you can see that curiosity in their, in their edit. Exceptional TV, TDs are the ones that are creating, they're telling you a story. They're, they're eight edits ahead. They're thinking about this and they're building this. They're not just following the story curiously. They are building, they're wrapping a story around um, and creating something for you to see. And it's, and it's outside of that. And you can hear them calling, Hey, you know, Jib, I'm going to have you do this, 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 and this. When I say go, I need you to do this and, and build it up. And now I'm going to have you do this. And you can hear like when, you know, we work with uh, Marcia or Nate or others, you can hear them building this, this, I'm going to go into this um, sequence of shots that are going to set this all up for you. And that's a different, um, you know, different set of, uh, of, of plans, you know, for, for that process. And those are the, those, that's about ratchet up. The ones that you notice the bad edits, that those are the ones we try to not to either train or <laughs> move on. Next question. Georgie Chonfari Bortnick from Swissvale, New Hebrides, asking, since today is Super Source Day, should we only ask questions about Blackmagic's products as those are the only ones that have this named feature? The term doesn't exist anywhere else in the industry, so it's harder to talk about Super Sources globally. I go ahead, Bill. Your point is, uh, I, I, it lands well for me because I faced this a good little bit in the last five or ten years. 
things are changing. And, you know, yes, when I was starting out, it was all the Chiron. That's all we had. It's the only word I heard in the first five years of my of my working in TV and the rest of that. And then it became something else, probably DVEs as Ampex got DVEs. And then it switched again to mix effects buses. And now some people are calling it super sources. I, to me, the most important factor I have, particularly at this point in my career, is maintaining agility. I have to learn to react to what the overall market is doing and not get stuck thinking to myself, you know, I'm going to force everybody to call it what I call it, because if not, they're wrong. And, you know, in in one sense, they are, because that's not what the industry calls it. But in another sense, they are searching for and trying to find a new language to describe the subtle differences of the way we do it today versus the way we did it yesterday. And if I don't start embracing that in my career, and again, this is a personal comment, if I don't start understanding how the younger kids call it or the older people in different industries call it, I'm limiting myself and I don't want to do that. So that's that's my philosophy about trying to figure out what the right thing to call something is. I try to stay open and not think that the way I used to do it is the only way to do it. Got to go, Chris. I've often said that in this industry, there's, there's no such thing as the good old days of television. Uh, the technology advances. We have far superior tools today. I have better tools in my pocket than I ever used to work with, uh, you know, in the beginning of my career 40 years ago. But I'm very glad that I was trained and I learned and I was steeped in the ways of the past. <laughs> It, 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 it creates a good foundation. When you have to deal with a production switcher, a Chiron a character generator, a, a Quantel DVE, uh, an ADA still store, and you understand how all those different devices wire together and have to be timed properly, so blah, blah, blah. I mean, it, it makes you appreciate Something like an A10 was like, God, Zooks, this is far superior than what I used to work with in some, even some of the trucks I used to work in in the early part of my career. Even if it's just, even if it's just to be grateful. Yes. <laughs> so that you can, you're not angry. Yeah, so like it's really easier. easy. Like I, I love the, 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 the comment of like when someone's complaining about the Wi-Fi uh, or, or their cell phone, that their cell phone isn't working. They're like, it's going to space. It's going right. to space. Like we're talking when it goes to space. And so it's, it's a, um, uh, I think that, you know, just knowing how hard it used to be is useful just so that you don't get too upset with the little details that aren't working. And by the way, the reason we call it a super source is, in my opinion, it's the best word for it. Like, it's just, it, it has nothing to do with whether we're, we can talk about it in other things. But I just think that everybody else's description of it is garbly gook, you know, and super source is just I had never a, heard the term before COVID. And then we yeah. did office hours and you yeah. kept talking about it. I go, what is super source? What is... And it, just yeah, happened. It I think that the main the main thing is it's one word that describes something that uh, that at least I understand. Well, it's it's kind of one word. Um. Anyway, so the um, the, but the point is, is that I just felt like everybody else's descriptions of what this is just didn't it just didn't land at all. And this is just easy to say, and it does it. So I, you know, this has been more of a general discussion. We're trying not to have it be about black magic. Um, it's just that the black magic's term is better than everybody else's, in my opinion. That's why we used it, because it, it makes the most sense. Um, yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, I think the point that's being made here is it's okay to have a classical education. And yes, there's certain things about the rules of uh, cutting film and uh, relating to editing AB roll systems, magnetic timelines, mm -hmm. and making that transition. It's okay as long as you have that back backdrop to work with. And by the way, a uh, mortise is actually a mat. Next question. 
Next question coming in from Stefan Fischer from Wurzburg, Germany. What is a good source to learn even more about the whole issue? Are there recommendations about online trainings around? There isn't. That's why we're talking about it here. And this is why we do the thing that there's just not really anybody discussing super sources. And so, uh, you know, we're, and it's something that we use in all of our shows and we all have opinions about them and everything else, but there really isn't any, you know, solid source of, of what that is. Uh, I have a, you know, somewhere in the future, I will make YouTube videos where we, where we talk about these things. Um, but I don't know when that'll be. Um, next question. Douglas Carmichael with the last question. Could somebody similar to the Fenwick Framer or something be used when the talent is not in a seated position to ensure super source integrity, like a pastor at a pulpit? Um, uh, we just try not to show them. We just show them. That, I don't know if we can... Uh, I don't know if we have a place for that. Um, you know, you just don't use a super source. You cut to a full frame. You paper over it. Go ahead, Chris. You could do something as simple as put a spike mark on the floor and say, hey, I want you to look as good as you can possibly look, and you look great when you stand right here. I would stand right here. Yeah. Feed into we, people's ego. We try. We try. You could put stirrups on the floor and say, put your toes inside here. I think you put mag. You put you, you give them tap tap shoes with 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 steel toes. Very strong magnets. Very strong magnets. <laughs> it's really easy to stand. It's really easy to stand right here. It's really hard to go anywhere else. Like you know, <laughs> I think that would be the that would be the that would be. Plus, there. you can do that Michael Jackson leaning thing, which is very cool. That was a, you know those are little hooks. Those are little hooks that he did. That it's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I, I was watching a concert video of, of that, and he you know you can see him if you just they cut around him, you can see him lock him in just for a second there. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, you can Pop have a system like a system like you have in your car for when you're you have automatic lane change. You know, it's a yeah. lane protection. So if you lean a little too far, it beeps into your ears, into your IFB. That you're would be great. I'm sure that would improve the frame. That. And you go, oh, I'm I'm leaning. I'm changing lanes. <laughs> Sorry. It is it is funny. You know, as this is again another um, uh, another kind of off subject, but talking to talent and getting them to. Uh, walk and post transforms the stage experience. Like it's it's really hard to get them to do it because most people are just most talent. People can be good at things and they think they're good at everything because they're good at something, but they're not. You know, so they're really good at talking, but they're not. They don't. They're not managed. You know, and um, and so when we've gotten people to do it, and what that is is the way I describe it. I was like, you know, we really want to make sure they have the highest impact uh, for your for your talk. And so what you want to do is. When you're setting something up, just walk across the stage. Just go to a new place. You can talk to new people. But make sure to get to a spike. You know, so and you, you know, and when you get to the spike, when you want to make that point, stay on that spike for a little while. If you want to make a point and you want it to be epic, um, you know, stand on that spike. And we'll know that if you're standing on that spike and, and we, you know, we're going to rehearse it with you, we're going to get a close-up. It's going to be short depth of field. And it's just going to look like this boom, you know, like a movie. Um, and anytime you're walking, it's not. <laughs> so, so like, you know, like it's going to be, we're going to be waist up and you're not going to look as, you know, it, it's just not going to look as epic. It's going to look fine. It's it's going to look like everybody else's presentation. We told that to one, uh, one person at, at this thing and he nailed it. And it was the best a thing about thing, something I don't care about. Like I mean, it was just, it was about a business tool and it was like, I don't understand why you'd ever use that. But, but 
it looked like a movie, <laughs> like because he would get in there and we would just, we always had this cam that we knew where he was going and that other camera would set up for it. And we, you know, and we had the, the, we had the two cameras for these different um, things. Then they were set to, you know, I think they were set to, in these zoom lenses, I think they were set to four, but they were way back there. And they were super 35 sensors and they had these sh sh short depth of field and it was just barely his head in focus. And, and uh, it looks so good. And uh, and then we, we showed that to other people and we got other people in the company to do the same thing because he looks so good. I mean, it just looked like a, you know, he looked like a movie. And um, Mark. No, it wasn't Mark. It was someone, <laughs> but, it, but it wasn't Mark. Mark. Mark just walks all over the place. Go ahead, Chris. Um, yeah, different CEOs behave differently. Uh, if you ever got to work with John Chambers, uh, mm -hmm. who was the original CEO of Cisco, when John walked into the room, the whole room was fair game for him. He'd get yeah. off that stage. He'd walk every aisle. You had to light everything. You were get, The video shaders were really going to have to work. I remember the first uh, one, I, Alex did a lot of work with Mark Benioff from uh, uh, what's it called? Salesforce. 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 Yeah, but I, I got to work with Mark one time before Alex did, and I put a camera on the front edge of the stage, low, and it was like this absolute rock star moment. And Mark hit that point, and it was an unmanned camera because budget thing. Mm -hmm. And we took to that shot, and there was like this gasp in the control room. Everybody went, <gasps> and he just he looked like a rock star standing there. It was yeah. just such a great angle, but. Yeah, I, I think the best way is to play to people's ego. Say, hey, look, you look really good when you stand right here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much. It was good. It was, good. It was a good, uh, good day. Good first hour, good second hour. Fun, fun discussion. Thanks to the panelists. We can't do this without you. Thanks to the uh, incredible folks on the back end um, making all of this happen, cutting the show um, and um, designing the show, <laughs> managing the show, developing for the show really really amazing work um, for everyone in the back end there and uh, thanks to the producers for asking all these great questions and keeping the conversation moving we had a really nice packed day of questions and comments so really really well done um, a quick reminder uh, that uh, we have the show workshop today at 12 p.m um, that's 12 p.m pacific standard time 3 p.m um, um, uh, eastern time and that's a great place if you're just trying to figure out being a reader, being a, you know, but also how to cut and how to do all the, there's a lot of rehearsal. There's a lot of places for you to, um, to test things. We do that on the weekends as well, but the best time to get feedback in real time and talk about it and look at it, um, for readers, uh, panelists or hosts is really Tuesday at noon Pacific standard time, 3 PM uh, Eastern. So, um, check that out. It's in the email that goes out and, um, yeah. Traveled uh, 77,000 miles today. Um, that's uh, 124,000 kilometers, and that's 610 million bananas for scale. All right, let's go ahead and jump into after hours.